podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, our latest show on mental health, and our third show focused on primarily on ADHD, um, but we'll talk about some other subjects. Here at Ace Podcast Nation, we've got podcasts, interviews, content on various subjects, including mental health, football, uh, films, TV, music, conspiracy theories, uh, you name it, we talk about it. Uh, you can find us on Facebook under Ace Podcast Nation, same on YouTube, uh, as well as Twitter is at AceCast underscore Nation, where you can keep up to date on our different series and upcoming content. Uh, so... You can find all our previous shows on YouTube. Uh, we've done two previous shows on ADHD. Uh, one was with Jacob, uh, who was a mental health support worker and also has ADHD. So we discussed uh, what it was like living day to day with him. Uh, I spoke to Phil Brown, a football journalist, about grief and depression. And I also recently with uh, Chantal Branston uh, from ADHD Positive about living with children with ADHD. So today, uh, I'm very happy to welcome uh, a mental health consultant doctor who is heavily involved in trying to raise awareness and education when it comes to ADHD. Uh, he's the clinical director of Mental Health and Wellbeing Limited. Uh, I'm very grateful to welcome Dr. Wasi Mohammed to today's show. Welcome, doctor. Well, thank you so much, Simon. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. No, no worries at all. I'm just uh, very grateful that you're able to spare me the time. Okay. Um, so, obviously, ADHD is a complex uh, subject. So, what I wanted to start with is perhaps for people who perhaps were like me before uh, my son was diagnosed. Uh, I was—I think I mentioned to you before—I I was very ignorant to what ADHD was. I sort of thought it was down to uh, discipline or things like that, which I'm sure is quite a common thing. But um, would you be able to just explain from a clin clinical point of view? What is ADHD? Uh, yeah, well, what is ADHD? Well, I mean, ADHD is um, a term which is um, a short form for um, a condition called Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Uh, and it is considered as a neurodevelopmental condition. So, you know, it basically means that um, um, more often than not, um, somebody with that condition might have it from a very young age. So there will be some kind of... Uh, you know, changes in the brain potentially, which could be contributing towards having that condition. So it is one of those sort of um, quite probably one of the commonest um, neurodevelopmental condition in psychiatry or, or, or child psychiatry. Um, and, um, and autism is also one of them. And sometimes autism and ADHD can go hand in hand together as well. So, you know, you can see people with ADHD, some 30% of them might also have some features of autistic spectrum condition. So that's what it is, really. Um, so I think normally uh, the traits of the condition, either from... Um, you know, behavioral point of view or from cognitive point of view will be present from uh, sort of young age, really. And, often, often, and quite often um, it, it, it can enter into your adulthood as well. So that's that's what, in a nutshell, uh, yeah. ADHD stands for, really. I think one of the things which interests me, actually, is um, when I was younger, which obviously I'm 37 now, so you're talking like... Good, 25 years ago um you had if you had sort of children who were struggling in their lessons or they were misbehaving very often those children were just put in the bottom set and kind of left to it and didn't get some of the support which like i know my son gets now and that's helped him mm. to achieve a sort of the level where he's capable of ability wise mm. um but i do wonder if he was in school during the time I was in school, even though he's quite, you know, he's intelligent, he's in the top sets of everything. I think he wouldn't have had the understanding and the support that he has to enable him to hit his actual ability because um, before he was diagnosed, he was struggling with concentration. He was shouting out, uh, maybe being a bit inappropriate or messing about. Mm. And I think, I think it's a very, you know, don't get me wrong, it's a, a fantastically positive 
difference. But I wonder how many children from when I was in school who didn't get that support, how much it affected their school life. I think, I think um, it's, a very, think, it's a very valid... I was just going to say, do you, yeah, yeah. I think it's a big change, isn't it? And I think, do you see that um, like on a day-to-day -day basis? Would you say that you can see the opinions and, and support changing for the better? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's a very valid point you're raising here because um, my own work is primarily at the moment because we, we, we are a, we're a small um, sort of a private uh, regulated company. We are regulated by Care Quality Commission and the uh, local services and, and shop share have commissioned the uh, adult ADHD work. So it's about well, people above the age of 18. To, because I think there was a huge gap when children were coming out uh, at the age of 18 and some of them had the diagnosis but then nobody was there to look after them and again so we started supporting those people first and gradually more and more uh, new referrals which we're, we are picking up now are uh, people perhaps you know of your age group maybe somebody even older who because there's a bit more understanding of the condition or they might have had some of their children or other relatives who might have had that condition and they might have seen that, you know, uh, maybe I've got some of those traits as well and whether I've had these difficulties from a young age and and they often reflect on that and they come out forward. So, I mean, I was reading a very interesting statistic somewhere and I think in 1990, uh, which is, it doesn't seem that long ago, which is probably about um, 20, you know, you know, nine years ago, you know, <laughs> there were only 40 prescriptions of, uh, in UK, of methylphenidate so can you imagine <laughs> so we've come a long way from that and i think the age group which i suppose you are referring to yourself and you know your your, your colleagues maybe from that era where perhaps um, there wasn't that awareness i think there's still a lot needs to be done even now uh, and uh, but uh, clearly at that point uh, probably in my view a lot of people were not getting the, the right help what we are now picking up a lot of, sometimes we, we pick up some of those patients and, and then we obviously take a detailed history of their earlier experiences and you know, a lot of those traits which you're describing uh, were present from a young age, you know, and they would often bring their uh, memories of school and report cards and, you know, you'd pick up anything, you know, really, uh, if they were, you know, in the school at this current day and age, they might have had a better chance of being picked up for for the, for that condition and might have had the treatment, which actually has a uh, one of the best results in in the field of medicine, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got to say, like, I could, uh, speaking from a personal point of view, um, seeing the difference in my son before he was diagnosed and afterwards, and then once he was allowed to get the support, um, because I. I don't know if it's in the whole of Wales, but it's certainly in his school, he wasn't able to get certain aspects of support until he had an official diagnosis, which was quite a frustrating period for us because the school sort of knew he had ADHD. We knew he had ADHD, but it was just a case of waiting for the process to finish. Um, yeah. And once he got that support, it was like it's been like night and day. So he, he had a very difficult year seven. And then year eight and year nine, he's in the top sets of everything, and he's generally not having too many problems. Mm. Um, when I spoke with Chantal uh, the other day, she was describing some of her experiences. She did say that she'd had a, quite a lot of trouble trying to get her children the right support. Um, so, you know, like you say, there is, you know, there's definitely still work to be done on, you know, when you yeah. compare it to. 20 years ago is, you know, it's a lot better. Um, mm. So just sticking on the sort of what is ADHD uh, type of area for a minute, what, what, what's the main difference between ADD and ADHD? Okay, well, I mean, these are sort of slightly academic uh, and diagnostic terms which uh, can get slightly uh, muddled up. So I think the ADHD is a sort of overriding umbrella term which we use, and, and I think... Uh, uh, there are two main diagnostic uh, manuals we uh, refer to. One of them is a DSM-5, which is, um, you know, from American uh, classification system, but it is recognized worldwide. The other one is ICD-10, which is um, World Health Organization, uh, you know, kind of um, 
organized uh, sort of diagnostic uh, um, manual. So the term ADHD is overall umbrella-wise, you know, used for these conditions. In, 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 if you look at the sort of DSM criteria, there might be sub, when the, the overall diagnosis will be ADHD, but we could say that somebody predominantly might have ADHD with the more inattentive symptoms, or some people might have more hyperactive or impulsive symptoms. And, 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 and quite often, both those symptoms are present as well. So I think that is the subtle difference. But, uh, um, you know, it's so loosely used. But uh, uh, I think yeah. my, if I was to give a diagnosis of, to someone, I would say you've got symptoms of ADHD, but predominantly uh, inattentive type or predominantly hyperactive type or, or, or mixed, you know. So that is probably um, the best yeah, way of explaining it. If so, if if a parent was watching this, um, what's what symptoms or traits do you think they could, or they could help, or look out for to help them distinguish between, uh, like a boisterous child and a child with ADHD? Okay, so I think uh, one of the key things would be that the uh, behavior, if you if you stick to the behavior element of the condition, will probably be present not only in school but also at home you know so it would be in a wider context it's not just going to be situation specific so it could be that in classroom the child might uh, struggle to focus or concentrate in class for too long very easily get distracted uh, often you might think that you know somebody has dropped a pencil but you know instead of focusing on the lecture you'll be looking at a you know pencil for a long period of time or if something is going past the window you might easily catch their attention and distract and they might then go back to the, the, the topic but they might have missed out a few minutes there you know so they are more yeah. easily distracted uh, there and uh, often the people could zone out you know so they might just be some of the people, the children, maybe, you know, sitting, and I think often in girls as well, we might notice that, that they are um, daydreaming or their mind is wandering and not able to kind of stay on the focus. And that also causes them difficulties in their academic performance. Not that they're not bright, they, they, they can perform very well, but often putting the sort of thoughts and cognitions into uh, exam <laughs> results can be yeah. quite a difficult process. So that's uh, inattentiveness can be a major problem. Often people can also get very impulsive and restless. So there are naturally, you might find them to be a bit more energetic, hyperactive. They find it hard to stand in a queue for too long. They might uh, be very impatient. Uh, they might sort of blurt things out sometimes more. They'll be fidgety. They will um, could easily get, um, you know, and they might be great into sports because they have got energy, but um, you might notice them fidgeting, squirming, biting their nails. Um, that kind of uh, hyperactivity or restlessness could be a, a, a feature. Um, then uh, emotionally, sometimes they can be quite, you know, up and down a little bit. You know, easily somebody says the wrong thing, they can might 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 react more. You know, easily get upset or easily get uh, angry. Um, so they do often do not have that sort of five minute or you know a few seconds of uh, uh, time to sort of stop. Um, think uh, having a thing before the actions, they might do something quite impulsively, and that might get them into trouble uh, uh, yes. in the classroom. So th those are the sort of things. And again, in home, they what you might notice that you know they are and they're easily bored. They're always seeking for some stimulation because their mind is wandering at a fast pace there, you know. And um, so sitting in a dining table having a meal with the family could be quite difficult for them. You know, they might be pacing up and down and. Um, so those are the sort of features which will be quite prevalent, um, uh, not only in school but at home. And as they go older, sometimes that can get them into difficulties because they start to mix up with the crowd where they get this, you know, dopamine kind of satisfaction and get into drugs or conduct issues. And, and that's where we start to see more kind of a, um, severe or more difficult um, aspects of um, behavior which get, gets them into trouble potentially with the law or using um, drugs or substances sometimes so that that's quite also quite common uh, with the with people with ADHD who are not getting the sort of right help you know? yeah yeah I can <clears throat> I can certainly relate to the you know like the impulsivity uh, you know my son we've quite often 
you you could almost see him saying stuff without thinking it through first. So mm-hmm. it was almost the way I we used to describe it, it when talking to my wife was he like he hasn't got a filter, whereas no. some people you know they might think about where they are and what mm. they're saying. He would sometimes just say it, mm-hmm. um, and he any. And even now, I mean, even I, you know, even though he's he's fourteen now and he's doing very well, he still can react quite emotionally if his younger mm. brothers winded him up, particularly sort of later in the day. Mm. Um, you know, it can be, it just it's like a, just a thing. It just happens rather than him thinking about you know reacting or thinking about what he's going to do. So. I can certainly relate to that. Even like I say, even now with him, he's having treatment and he's doing very well in school. Yeah, um, the traits might still happen from time to time, and yeah, yeah. And I think like he, he takes um, some medication, Zagatin at the moment, um, and that's lasting a bit longer. But I think you can tell when it gets to sort of five, six o'clock in the evening, he's very much more emotional and he's a bit more sort of fidgety and. And just generally, you can just generally see a big difference in him. Yeah. Um, And and first thing in the morning as well, Mm. uh, when he first gets up, is my least favourite part of the day is trying to get everyone out to school because this can be a bit of a a battle sometimes. That's that's right, yes. um, So everything I've read, uh, you know, come across, obviously, since he was diagnosed, I sort of read up as much as I could, really. Um, But everything I read or came across said that the diagnosing ADHD in girls is a lot more difficult than boys. Um, first of all, is that true? And secondly, why why is that? If that's the case, um, I, I think it's it's a difficult question to answer because um, sometimes even in we can't generalize uh, it to the boys or girls. Sometimes some boys are can be difficult to diagnose as well because you know you would normally stereotype uh, in your mind about an ADHD boy to be quite hyperactive and, you know, boisterous or, or, you know, getting into trouble. But there are some boys, uh, particularly with some autistic traits, who might be actually sitting very quietly in the classroom and they may not be um, communicating much, but they'll be zoning out and they'll be in their own world. So they might have a lot of inattentive symptoms, but because their behavior is not so bad uh, or or difficult, uh, they don't get picked up because, you know, Usually, teachers and, yeah, and everybody will start, you know, worry about the people who are causing them, you know, some 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 issues. It's possible, I think, that girls, um, some of them, could could be like those, and I think girls often uh, uh, could zone out a bit more, so they might uh, come across as more emotional. But maybe that's why, perhaps. Uh, uh, sometimes you know these things can uh, be considered as more sort of anxiety or depression or anything else. But uh, often, when we dig deep and uh, have a careful analysis, sometimes uh, um, a, you know ADHD traits are also present and um, and often get missed. You know sometimes even by specialists. Uh, you know I've, I've seen a few girls who come to us uh, from um, other areas where they were being treated for anxiety and depression with antidepressants and other things but actually digging deep I think we've picked up that there were a lot of issues with the ADHD as well and the treatments are so different and uh, so they perhaps were not getting the kind of right treatment really yeah so yeah it's possible but um, yeah it, it, I, I wouldn't generalize it completely because I think oh, there are some no. boys as well who could uh, have a who may not get picked up as well yeah mm. yeah and I think one of the things is, um, or what, ADHD, it's not like um, like a broken arm where you can do an x-ray and you can see the arm's broken, so this is the treatment. It's, it can manifest in different children in different ways. And one of the things I've been keen to do when I was speaking to parents of children with ADHD is try and raise awareness by showing people that what works for my son might not work for Chantal's to her kids or... Sure. someone over here or over here and what my son struggles with or and his symptoms and traits which manifest either now or when he was younger they might be completely different in someone else 
absolutely. Um, absolutely. So there are obviously going to be some similarities, but you know, again, we are dealing with individuals who might have their own personalities, their environment, and and you know, the way they you know brought up, or so there will be obviously some subtle differences there, and and, and cultural differences as well. So I think uh, it's probably not uh, easy to sort of just categorize them and stereotype them into just one yeah. or two particular categories. So they will have their own individual uh, subtle variations uh, with the condition, just like any other condition, you know, for example, bipolar or anything else, you know, not everybody gets exactly the same kind of symptoms, but, you know, they, they have their own variations to it. And responses to the treatment can, can depend. And that's why we tailor treatment very much based on an individual what works what medication works for one may not work for the other or sometimes we have to mix and match so we give them a longer acting and when some people are perhaps metabolizing them quickly and they're noticing that at three or four o'clock they're just not able to you know they're, they're, they're zoning out there again so we may have to give them a short acting top up uh, for yeah, four hours yeah, course, for that yeah. so they mean so it's it is very much based on on a very much individual, the treatment is tailored uh, individually, really. So, to to sort of tackle those sort of subtle differences in in in, in a person. Yeah, mm. I think that's certainly like again, I can completely relate to that. Um, there's part of my son's treatment is he started on a low dosage and he sort of moved up until they found the right dosage for him. Um, but then we were finding that it was wearing off by the sort of last lesson of school. So he was having a bit of problem in that lesson. So they changed it to like a longer acting one. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, a longer acting one, which now lasts that bit longer. Yeah. Because he didn't, he himself didn't really like the top up one where we had before. We used to take like a top up for the evenings. He plays a lot of football and sports, but he didn't like it because he was, he would sort of struggle to then settle after football and sort of get to sleep. Oh. Um, and it's, it's it is a it's almost I suppose it's the same with any treatment, but certainly any mental health treatment is there's no one way for everyone. It's not like sort of antibiotics right. or something like that. It's with any mental health illness or disorder, it's going to be sort of mixing a match and treatments and medication if that's necessary, and then finding what works for the individual. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I don't envy you in terms of trying to find the right, uh, find you know, find people, find the symptoms, diagnose it, and then find the right care and treatment for patients because you know it's particularly with mental health, it's like a minefield of various things it can be, and then you're trying to find the right treatment. Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes, you know, we, 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 we work in, I mean, the way I would like to work, and I'm sure most uh, services are probably doing the same, is to work in a partnership with the patient as well as the carers, and, you know, have a, a very open, transparent kind of discussion, have that rapport and trust so that, you know, we could uh, work together because, uh, you know, as clinicians, we are only going to be guided by, um, you know, the sort of feedback on, 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 the, on the treatment which we are giving and, and, and for us to sort of adjust the treatment and fine-tune it perhaps, you know, it needs a lot of, uh, and there are various sort of tools we use and uh, uh, feedback forms and rating scales and, and, and that can also give us some objective uh, um, evidence of what symptoms are perhaps targeted better and maybe where we need to still focus on attention. And again, medication is just one aspect and perhaps a very important aspect of the treatment, but there are other, um, um, you know, treatments in terms of psychological help or, you know, coaching skill training or life skill trainings and behavioral strategies and, and you know, working in, with families in terms of family therapy. There is different aspects which can be brought into the treatment as well. I, I think the resources are stretched in NHS, as you would imagine, yeah. uh, and, and not everybody is able to afford, um, uh, you know, private uh, therapies and stuff. But um, um, I think in an ideal world, that a very kind of holistic approach um, would, would need to be uh, tailored for, for that family and, and for uh, and supporting the child, you know. Yeah, definitely. And uh, <clears throat> so, um, for parents who say have been recently diagnosed with ADHD 
or are in the process going through the testing process and it's new to them um what would be like the best advice you can give them to help both the parents or the carers and the child deal with ADHD daily in terms of now they've got a diagnosis mm. how is what advice would you give them in terms of managing it I, I think um, again the key advice would be first of all sort of giving them education about the condition you know taking the sort of blame and shame away from it and, and stigma away from it that you know you know it's not that you know you you're you're a bad boy or you're a bad girl or you're difficult. Sometimes the brain is wired up slightly differently, and you know, helping them to understand what, uh, how the ADHD and ADHD is not all negative. I mean, I you know see people who are uh, because of the very nature of ADHD might be quite successful in some other areas. So I think just trying to find their strengths that, you know, find they might have some weaknesses or difficulties in one area, but there are also some strengths, you know, it brings a lot of strengths. I mean, I'm sure there are celebrities and, you know, um, business people, I've, I've treated doctors and dentists who've got this condition and, you know, and they're, they're very bright, you know. So helping them to understand the condition, giving them the relevant evidence-based uh, information um, relevant websites, um, um, also I think helping the school and teachers about you know their conditions so that they they can tailor the support for them in the classrooms. And maybe it could be that for some people uh, having two or three doses of medication works better, so they might have to go into the lunchtime and, and have their medication. So they're just supervising that element. So again, for an individual, I think various things will. Uh, uh, happen. Also, I think sticking to sort of um, structures, routines, putting some organizations around it could be the morning, as you were saying, is not a very good time for your son. So maybe preparing the school bag at night, maybe taking a shower in, at night so that in the morning, you know, you save them half an hour to during the time when they're sort of yeah, getting, yeah. getting into it. Um, so sometimes very simple uh, strategies and, 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 and guidance can also make a lot of difference. So, um, but yeah, again, I think, um, um, I think definitely initially in finding the right clinical uh, support and, 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 uh, and, and, and also pharmacological treatment is, is actually quite important in ADHD because um, um, it can be a game changer, you know, for, for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Like, it's, like I mentioned, the difference in between before he had the support and after was like night and day and i think i think from a personal point of view my my advice to anyone is always is get that support in school make sure the school understand the difficulties that your child is having and tell them he needs help with this that whatever it needs to be and i would you know we, i've been very lucky we've been very lucky the school's been very receptive to that um, you know, I'm sure there's other schools or schools around which aren't, but I think getting that school support and help is vital, especially in that early stage of if they start taking medication and you're still on a low dosage or you're, you're trying to work out what's best. It's very important to, uh, you know, get, get that balance right, both in school and have a good relationship partnership as you just said with the you know with the consultant or with the the mental health team or the who you know whoever you're with children's mm -hmm. services um it's you know it's vital that especially in that early stage um my son was very emotional when he found out yes that he had an official diagnosis even though he knew before he got quite upset he's you know said things like i just want to be normal so mm -hmm. we were very aware that at that early stage even though he knew it was coming it hit him quite hard so he was even more emotional than normal um so obviously we had to you know give him the support and talk to him about that you know it wasn't a long period of feeling like that yeah but certainly those times with it and accepting it and and you know obviously it's quite an emotional time for a lot of children and even for adults because i i sometimes um you know most of my work currently for the commissioned aspect of the work we do is with adults and um, you know I think um, uh, we've had a lot of uh, emotional <laughs> consultations when the diagnosis is shared 
because I think for adults sometimes also it's quite hard to, to, to look back and think that, you know, perhaps they've been dealing with it for, you know, 35 years and, and you know, maybe there's a little bit of, um, you know, feeling that perhaps if they had the right help before, they could have, their life could have turned around in a different way or different direction. So I think that can be quite a difficult process for, uh, for some people. And um, so I think keeping them involved in hope and, you know, having the sort of compassion from the, uh, the, the professional team is, 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 is working with the parents, school, that's, 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 uh, that's the key, really. It's, it's, it's not just a, a consultant who's got a magic answer, you know, I think it's a teamwork here, really. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, before we go into sort of more technical or current issues around ADHD, it was... Um, in terms of the history of ADHD, when were the first sort of cases of ADHD diagnosed? Uh, I'm, I'm not a, the best historian, but I think from what I've read, I think there have been some mention uh, uh, even in the sort of uh, 18th century or early 19th century about, uh, you know, some behavioral uh, disorders of, uh, and, and, and uh, but I think it's probably early 1900s where uh, some cases were picked up, and um, and amphetamine type treatments were accidentally used for, uh, you know, some of the children uh, for some, you know some neurological condition or headaches or something. But you know, actually, they they found out that the focus and concentration and you know ability to sort of uh, maintain attention and behavior change with that. And I think that since then, I think there's been a little bit of a new you know, is evolved over the years. Yeah, of course, uh, yeah. said that, I mean, Ritalin or methylphenidate has been available since 1950s, so uh, it's still very widely used. So, yeah, and it's still, the, you know, often the first-line treatment for, for children. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, one th another thing, following on from that, really, is um, do you think anything has contributed to the rise in case in ADHD diagnoses and cases you know since those obviously years ago there wasn't many and now there's more do you think that's down to like a, just advancement in medical science or is it down to diets and medications and TV and things like that changing over time uh, the reason I ask that is because I you know I believe that it's just more knowledge and advancement in sort of medical knowledge but obviously there is people out there who think that ADHD is not a real thing and they just think it's diet or environment or, you know, TV and additives, things like that. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, it's, um, um, my own view is that perhaps that, uh, you know, over the course of the last sort of 15, 20 years, there's been a little bit more awareness of this condition. Uh, so perhaps it's been um, better identified, uh, and 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 uh, that could be probably one of the reasons why we are seeing a, an increased um, uh, prevalence of this disorder. I still believe that even now it's underdiagnosed. You know, yeah. I, I think the prevalence, if you look at it from various. Uh, worldwide um, researches and uh, in epidemi epidemiology and prevalences, I think we, we, we should be having a, a prevalence of around 5% in children and between 3 to 4% in adults. And I don't think we are picking up that much now. Uh, so um, it is a very much a, a neurobiological condition, often is a gen strong genetic link. So yeah. you might see that uh, um, there is usually somebody in the family, either uh, you know a brother or a father or a mom or if not in the first degree relative, somebody in the second degree relatives in terms of you know uncles or there, there will be some links with with neurodevelopmental yeah. conditions like ADHD or potentially even autism. So um, and I think careful history taking uh, of family and developmental history becomes you know. Also, now we've got quite a uh, more and more um, quite high scientific um, uh, researches in terms of your brain scans and what the medications do to the various receptors. Uh, they are they are beginning to emerge as well. 
And I think they, yeah. they, they do, do correlate to the effects of the medication and, and, and the responses. So I think we are fairly convinced that it's just a lot more than just uh, somebody watching too much TV or having yeah. chocolate or, you know, coffee or, you know, Coke. Uh, it, it could be that those things contribute uh, more in you know, somebody yeah. who has a vulnerability and who brings out the symptoms even more. But I, I, I would personally think that, and I think from what uh, um, you know, the, the views are, um, that there, there, there is a, a neurobiological change happening in the brain, which is which is contributing to that more. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And like I say, the reason I slipped that question in is because we come across. You know, I've come across a lot of people who are ignorant, ignorant to it, just yeah. like I was before my son was diagnosed. Um, fortunately, we still have to. We've still a, we've still got a way to go because even in the medical fraternity, I think we we, we come across those sort of challenges. You know, um, it is a little bit of a subspeciality dealing with neurodiverse and neurodevelopmental conditions. I mean, I've had some battles with uh, some GPs who've uh, refused to give the medications because uh, they were advising on keto diet or something like that. And I said, you know, this isn't really, you know, it, it might be helpful in some aspects, but really that's not going to treat the ADHD. Yeah. And um, so uh, we, we still have to sometimes educate them and give them the current uh, nice, you know, nice, nice has done very good work because the guidelines from uh, National Institute of Clinical Excellence are very clear about uh, the usage of medication and psychological approaches and other approaches is very stepwise clearly mentioned and I often refer to that to these people that you know this is the guidelines this is the evidence we've got so we need to kind of carry on uh, and, and, and you know work work with those really yeah. Yes, I think, and one thing which surprises me actually is obviously where I've been speaking to people for the podcast and I've been speaking to people about ADHD is it surprised me how many adults I came across who've been recently diagnosed as adults and then a lot, a lot of them seem to be saying it all seemed, suddenly seemed to fit together after they got their diagnosis as if everything had not quite felt right throughout their life and then Mm. You know, they'd had certain struggles, whether it was in school or work or at home, and then suddenly they would get their diagnosis as an adult, and they it made sense to them why they had felt the way they did. Yeah, um, you're absolutely, absolutely which, right. Mm. You know, that kind of proves to me, you know, even without everything else, that proves to me that it is a real thing, because, you know, you've got... You only need to search ADHD adult on a, you know, Twitter or something like that, and you'll come across tens, twenties, thirties, you know, hundreds of people saying similar. Um, but there is a stigma still out there to mental health, and there's, I think, there's a certainly a stigma with in terms of with ADHD. Um, like, what are some of the worst stigmas that you've come across? Uh, in your time as a medical professional as pertains to ADHD? I, I think unfortunately sometimes we, we, we have to fight the stigma from within the services as well, isn't it? You know, because um, whilst perhaps the CAM services and uh, specialist ADHD services have got uh, a lot of experience and they've treated hundreds if not thousands of uh, patients and seen some amazing results, um, sometimes in other areas, um, um, you know, people might not have um, um, sort of um, noticed that, so their their understanding is a little bit. I mean, our Royal College of Psychiatrists, uh, where we all have to, uh, you know, refer to our training and 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 take undertake sort of exams, is very keen for all the um, um, you know junior doctors to have at least six months of experience with uh, child and adolescent side, so that they they get exposed to. Uh, you know, the treatment. And I remember my days, I'm going back a few years when I was working in CAMS as a junior doctor. You know, my consultant was amazing and he said, you know, just go and observe this child in the classroom. So I had to take permission. I was sitting in the quietly corner, just making some notes and, you know, educating them, seeing them in different settings, uh, seeing the response can, you know, make, make a huge difference in our own understanding because, um, you know, a lot of, sometimes people come into the profession, they think, 
because that they, they, they've all heard about it all oh, it's just an naughty child or you know you know everybody can uh, get benefit from stimulants and it's not the case you know I mean <laughs> um, again there is an I, I personally think that there's a huge area of which where we need to invest and bring in more resources and ultimately it will be a lot of saving for the government because you know we will prevent uh, these people from um, uh, you know failing in different jobs getting involved in crime I mean if you go to a prison population I think probably 50 60 percent of the people if you deliver a, a solid um, well-validated ADHD tool will, will probably come out uh, on the ADHD spectrum as well and maybe if we were to you know change the strategy and, and engage with them and you know give them support and treatment who knows even if you can reduce 10% of that you know that's a huge um, uh, i think is the, the this investment will 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 will, will, will actually give you more savings <laughs> because you know yeah, you know, you reduce yeah. crimes you will reduce it, you will get more people into work you'll get better education for these uh, kids um, relationships will be improved so i i is 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 um I think at the moment we are uh, the way things are. I think things are quite stretched, uh, you know, in the forefront generally in mental health. So often, what also happens that uh, sometimes we get this um, uh, news from acute services that you know we are having to deal with people who are really acutely psychotic or suicidal and you know at a very high risk. So you know our energies are going there, uh, and uh, and uh, and and you know. Perhaps the focus is sort of shifting away from uh, more of these sort of conditions where people are ticking along sometimes, not 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 maybe at the optimum level, but uh, you know the resources get sort of um, shifted towards more acute services. But I think my view would be that you know we also have to look at preventative and more kind of long-term view because if we can sometimes prevent these things from going into crisis and treating them at an earlier stages. I think it's a win-win for everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you can, <clears throat> why lead, why lead them to a place where they go into crisis? I think why not we engage them better? But uh, I think that will need a huge amount of resources. I think we are. Um, I think uh, what we're noticing is we are stretched. Um, mm. We are a very small firm, and we are working quite hard. Um, uh, but uh, you know, we, we are getting about sort of fifty referrals a month. Um, uh, so, um, and you know, there are various strategies in which you can develop more efficiencies, and sometimes you can give them, the, you know, engage on the telephone, give them some of the rating scales to school and other children, and 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 maybe some find some ways around it to bring the diagnostic process a little bit more efficient, uh, so that the treatment can start early. But uh, it 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 is it is challenging. Yeah, it is shouting you. Oh, I can, I can only imagine. But yeah, <laughs> I, sp I guess the earlier you, the more people you can catch early and get that support and treatment in mm. early, meaning that they're able to navigate their relationship with their carer or their parents, their relationship with their peers at school, their mm. lessons, their education. Suddenly, you if you if they've got that support, then you're hoping that they can take that into their adult life yeah whereas and I, an under, uh, someone with ADHD who's undiagnosed um, they're gonna make impulsive decisions all the way through their life they might be a bit um, almost scattergun in you know lacking organization being impulsive hyperactive and, and that's and very often, difficult to manage self-esteem gets very affected because they often yes. start to then blame themselves that you know maybe you know um, you know because they've had all these sort of criticism all along from the teacher maybe potentially from other pupils and the pair potentially from parents that you know you, you're naughty you're not doing the right thing and you know and I think that also can be uh, people can develop sort of learn learn helplessness around it that they think you know well, you know I'm perhaps not good enough and um, you know they always compare themselves to others and then that is a, a, a very negative frame of mind they get into uh, when potentially actually uh, with the right support and treatment um, that could be altered at a very earlier stage so gives them a much more better uh, belief about their abilities and and, and you know self self awareness of it and, and and managing the condition better you know so 
one aspect I'm quite interested in is because um, I've got three children. My oldest has ADHD. Youngest, we're sort of not sure. Um, but quite often I've been reading forums and things like this. Um, you can have that the siblings who haven't got ADHD can feel a bit resentful or neglected because of the amount of attention that the ADHD, ADHD child gets or needs. Um, this can, you know, obviously cause a bit of resentment or arguments. Parents feel guilty over the amount of attention that they've got to give to, you know, the child with ADHD. Mm. Um, obviously, this is not a, you know, the, they want to give one child more attention than the other. It's just circumstance, unfortunately. Mm. But what would you say to the those parents? What could they do to, you know, navigate that minefield, if you like, of obviously dealing with you know multiple children so we say where one or two's got ADHD and some and the others haven't mm. yeah I, I think it's a it's, it's a very delicate balance isn't it you know and and I think uh, there is no right or wrong answer here I think perhaps my approach would be to um spend some time with the person who with the, the child who does not have ADHD as well and I think also have some strategy to sort of make sure that they get a one-to-one -one time where you can explain to them the, you know, the condition of the of the other sibling and how it affects them educating them and using them as a partner in in, in all global kind of way of a family unit really and also I think rewarding this um, sibling for you know, understanding and, and, and giving them the amount of time because I think ultimately they will feel resentful that they are not getting that time and the other is taking it away. So I think making sure that they have that block of time as well and educating them and you know, trying to bring them into partnership may work, you know, so. Uh, but I think it's, it, it really kind of. Um, depends on an individual family but uh, and sometimes you know in, in, in some areas the family therapy can be a really good way of uh, dealing with it sometimes a few sessions of uh, family therapy having somebody a professional who knows how to uh, kind of deal with those sort of conflicts in the family uh, and, and bringing it out on the open uh, can also be quite helpful particularly for for families where they are you know quite high expressed emotions and and, and things are reaching a stage where um, the environment of the family is is is, is tense and, and 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 emotionally quite charged. You know, that's where yeah, yeah. more yeah. more specialist help uh, can also uh, be seeked. Um, whether it will be available at the drop of a hat, <laughs> that I can't promise. But uh, you know, I think ideally, family therapy, behavioural family therapies, um, and spending time with the other sibling and helping them understand and understanding their own needs and frustrations can can sometimes make a huge difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely, oh, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, completely agree. And I think one of the big things we try to do is to educate the other two kids and explain to them why he can't sometimes control yeah, himself or why he can't job there yes mm, mm. Uh, it is I, it is difficult i got i have to admit it's it's uh, it's every day is a different uh, challenge in terms of managing it and it's not always easy um so we've obviously covered various bits and we've covered different uh, different aspects of it just one last question i wanted to ask you on adhd before we quickly have a little bit on uh, bipolar was um in like in your opinion what if for parents who perhaps they don't want to give their children medication you know straight away or at the moment um you know for varying reasons what would you say are the most effective ways to treat adhd away from uh you know medication yeah I mean, uh, uh, behavioral uh, strategies can be quite useful, um, you know, social skills training, putting some sort of structures around it, rewarding the right behavior and educating them uh, about some of the potential problems which are causing them effect can be helpful. Uh, again, medication, I, I've covered a lot of this sort of, some people just don't like taking the medication, some children don't like taking the medication because they have some side effects, uh, you know, occasionally they notice their appetite is not very good, uh, or they might feel a little bit slowed down. Uh, and, um, you know, so often the way I approach is that, you know, we say, you know, these drugs 
maybe don't have to be taken on a daily basis. You know, maybe use them on uh, some days where you feel that you are more likely to be in a pressure situation. You have to perform in school and, and, and tailor them around it. And I think occasionally the stigma and um, kind of this sort of negative perception can improve that way. And saying that it's okay to not take it over the weekend, and but maybe on the school days uh, might might help for you. And, and and I think so. There's various ways around it, and 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 uh, and often, more often than not, I think you know people will um, will engage. Um, yeah. And and uh, uh, but uh, some can some some um, more sort of severe end. Uh, I think uh, uh, even for the psychological therapies to be effective. Sometimes the people have to engage in them, and I think that if the ADHD symptoms are so severe that they can't even sit still in a session for more than you know four minutes and yeah. getting distracted, it, it gets quite difficult for uh, putting those approaches into practice. So, um, yeah, so I think you know it's a balance. Um, but the good thing is that you know these drugs are not addictive; they are generally safe if carefully monitored. Um, you know, you don't have to go a high dose. You could start with slow dosage and use them in, um, uh, you know, short bursts or periods, and give them some holidays from the drugs as well. And 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 often people find that approach more accepting. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. I just, I find that really interesting because obviously, like I explained uh, before, I was completely. Not, I just didn't think that he had ADHD. I thought it was, you know, like a made-up thing. And then once he had, was diagnosed with it, and I had, was a bit more educated about it, I was quite against. Don't guys, I want him taking medication. And obviously, I came around to that. And seeing the difference now, I sometimes get upset with myself mm. for being so ignorant because I think of the years that he missed out on having the support that he needed, perhaps because I was a bit stubborn. Uh, so in the future I'm planning on doing as part of our mental health series uh, a show on bipolar um, so I'm going to try not to keep you too long uh, but I was wondering if you'd be able to just explain to me uh, you know basically what bipolar is uh, as a disorder mm. yeah bipolar is um, actually um, I, I, it's, it's one of my, my, my kind of specialist area where I because uh, I, I was sort of um, um, yeah, I'm sure my dad is quite open about it. You know, I I, I came into psychiatry because my father had uh, type one bipolar, and from a young age, I I sort of uh, saw the signs and symptoms of bipolar, and I think that in a way motivated me to to to, to be a psychiatrist. And I took medicine purely because I always wanted to be a psychiatrist. So I think it is a, a topic quite close to my heart as well. Um, um, bipolar is um, technically. Uh, you know, from a clinical point of view, if I describe it, is a mood disorder, uh, and um, so you know, um, most times uh, people's mood uh, can be sort of stable, but occasionally they can go and become depressed. So I think those conditions can be called as depressive disorders or depression. But in bipolar, um, people might have uh, some periods of depression, but then sometimes the mood can become. Um, a little bit out of character and go the other way, which means that they can come across as quite elated in mood, more, um, you know, uh, kind of opinionated maybe, slightly grandiose, they have a lot more energy, they feel uh, that they could, sometimes their sex drive or libido can change quite a lot, they make impulsive decisions, and and that can be quite devastating uh, for a lot of uh, people. And then they might have a, that period for some period of time, for weeks, sometimes days, and then they might go normal again, and they might get depressed again. So I think it's sometimes they find it very hard to even know where they are in their own life because they don't know what, what person they are. One day they are waking up and they've got lots of energy. Some weeks they're waking up and they just can't have anything uh, to do. They feel withdrawn, suicidal. It's, it's again... Uh, a, a, um, the, the, from the point of view of um, you know the long-term outcomes of, of bipolar is is is, is a quite a severe condition that 20% and this is a very sad statistics actually that 20% of the people with bipolar disorder actually end up committing suicide, and nearly 50% of them 
will, would have self-harmed or um, you know had to had to um, you know some ways in which they would have uh, tried to take their life or might have been saved but uh, some unfortunately are not that lucky so it, it is it is it is a very very um, uh, uh, condition which which needs a lot of time and, and, and I think the way I see it I, I usually take a journey with that patient and it could take sometimes months sometimes years to to get it right um, so yeah, that's that's in a nutshell what bipolar is. It is a spectrum. So some people tend to get more milder version of it, uh, where they would have uh, what we call them as a hypermania, uh, which is um, you know that they might get more increasingly more sociable. They might have more energy. They can be quite productive in that time, but they can be impulsive, and uh, you know they might uh, do some things which are a bit out of character. Um, that is perhaps just about uh, you know not as severe and they might be, could be treated in, in at home with some changes in medication but uh, and that is called the type 2 bipolar disorder and then there's a, a more severe form of the bipolar disorder which is called type 1 where people actually get manic so in those sort of phases they could start to have some delusions or even hallucinations. They might think they have superpower or the Jesus Christ, or they could, uh, they just would not sleep. They, usually, those um, individuals would have been uh, picked up by the psychiatric services. Unfortunately, often sectioned in the hospital and needing long periods of stay or stabilization. And it is a, a remitting and relapsing condition. So I think more often than not, if you've got that condition, that stays with you for life. But it is treatable, and a lot of people can still have a very fulfilling life with the right treatments. But it is a, it is a big topic, you know. So I'm just only going to, yeah, to yeah. talk, uh, touch base a, a little bit on the sort of introduction of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. And um, like I say, I'm going to definitely be doing a show on uh, bipolar. Yeah. Um, those those yeah yeah because i think it's uh, and i think before you go i think uh, i yeah. may to point out that uh, bipolar oh no oh we've lost dr mo type 2 or bipolar as well and 50% okay can you yeah, yeah, you're back now. You just went. For no, yeah, I think the voice went. So I was just saying that, um, um, you know, even with ADHD and bipolar, you know, there's a, some, a lot of comorbidity. So about 20% of the people with ADHD could have bipolar as well. And about 50% of the people who have bipolar could have ADHD. So, you know, there's a lot of links there as well, which we can talk about uh, in the future because that's quite a... A big area and I think that's an area of my research and presenting some data to, to some conferences as well so I'll be quite happy to share that with, with you at some other point yeah yeah that would be fantastic I'd, I'd love to get you back on to speak about bipolar in you know in detail because um, like I say I'm not massively familiar with it but the, just those statistics alone mm. um, you know about like the amount of people which harm themselves and, and, uh, and kill themselves. It's, that is, I find that incredible, and it's you know that's distressing. That's an amazing amount of people who you know they, they just. I I find that really shocking. I got to be honest. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And that's that's just uh, a, a, a unfortunate in sort of uh, data. Hmm. Yeah. So, like I say, we'll definitely get you back on to uh, to go into that into a bit more detail. Um, uh, I just want to thank you anyway, Dr. Mo, for coming on. I really appreciate you finding the time. Obviously, you're a very busy man, so I appreciate you finding uh, an hour for me. No, um, it's a mental health awareness week next week, and you know we, you know, this is just a little bit of my, um, you know, time to sort of you know support you and your viewers, and and I think it's for me as well. It's important that I keep. Uh, you know, educating people as well. It's you know, apart from treatment, I think education is, is, is and and working together with with, with with all of you. You know, I think that is going to be the key in terms of future strategy developments for for even you know, Department of Health. Really, I think you know, the more understanding there is on all levels, the the, the better the treatments will, will and availability will become. Hopefully, yeah. And that's my that's my goal. You know. I hope so. And like I say, it's uh, Mental Health Awareness Week next week. Uh, you can find Dr. Mohammed on Twitter uh, at Mohammed 
underscore Wasi, W-A-S-I. And you can visit Mental Health and Wellbeing website for advice and services at www.mentalhealthandwellbeing.co.uk. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AceCast underscore Nation. Uh, plus, we're on Facebook and YouTube under Ace Podcast Nation, where you can surpri- uh, subscribe to support our ongoing shows on mental health and other subjects. Uh, thank you again to Dr. Mo, and uh, thank you to everyone who's watching, and I'll see you again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.